going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob, your host, and with me, as always, is my co-host and older brother, the belated birthday boy, Chris. What's going on, man? Not much. I turned 29 this week. Had a good time. Thanks to all those on Facebook who wish me a happy birthday. I do like that tradition, by the way. It's a, it's a fun, fun tradition on Facebook. And I saw Ant-Man on my birthday evening, so highly nice. recommend if you have if you're into Marvel movies, it's a fun funny movie. So, all in yeah. all, a good birthday. It's fun it's funny that it, you know, you said Marvel movies like that's a genre now. Marvel oh. movies. Oh, certainly, man. Marvel has been going crazy. They've it's hard to believe that this whole um Avengers phase phases and universe thing started in 2008. I remember I was getting ready to graduate from college and me and my friends all went to see Iron Man as one of the last things we did together on campus. And uh, it's hard to believe that it's it's been that long. No, yeah, definitely. I, I have the same memories except high school. So right. weird. I love those yeah. movies, though. Oh, they're great. They're, they've all been very entertaining. Yeah, definitely. Actually, though, we did get a comment from one of our listeners last week. So... We're very happy that Brian, our cousin, pointed out and answered one of the questions we had on our last podcast when we were talking about NBA free agency. I asked a, a very pointed question, why does the NBA have to wait till after free agency starts to calculate the cap? And he said it's because the fiscal year ends on June 30th and the accountants need about eight, six to eight days or so to work their magic. And Okay, that's a very fair point, but Bob, I mean, don't you think they should just make free agency start on July 10th then when they're eligible to sign so that way teams know what the cap is and there's no confusion? Yeah, absolutely, and that way they could have in that first week, uh, you know, collusion rules where if you do announce deals or you're you're spotted, you know, talking to somebody, then you can get punished for it. Um, that, that, that moratorium week regardless of the explanation for setting the cap it's ridiculous it's just it's a silly thing that needs to be they either need to readjust their fiscal year or they just need to set a hard moratorium where no dealings can be made obviously there'll be backdoor dealings text messages phone calls but if you get caught you can get punished Right, I agree. I think the easiest solution is instead of messing with the fiscal year, just move it back to July 10th. I mean, wait 10 days and then open the gates full blow. Don't half open the gate and then open it all the way. Just open the gates, let everyone just agree to the deal and sign a deal on July 10th instead of this zombie moratorium period for about 10 days between July 1st and July 10th. So thank you, Brian, for clearing that up. But but the two of us still think that it's kind of silly to just kind of have this no man's land period. Yeah, definitely. Brian, man, thanks for calling us out. Uh, listeners, if if you want to call us out, call us out. Be vicious. I want to hear you know Twitter comments, comment on the website, send us text messages. Let us know if we're being wrong because we will we will definitely recognize you if if you catch us on something. So. Thanks a lot, Brian, for that. Be careful if you ask Twitter to be vicious, Bob. I, I, I mean, I, I, I welcome it. I, I welcome it. <laughs> hey, we do too. Hey, we're not perfect, but we try to do the best we can. And if we do make a mistake, definitely bring it to our attention. Definitely, definitely. 
So let's get into the meat potatoes of this episode, which, uh, you know, the sport that has been going on for a long time that we just never seem to, to come around to talk about. So we're going to devote a whole episode back to baseball, to the MLB. The All-Star break uh, is over. Ga- teams are playing games last night. Uh, and we're just about two weeks out from the trade deadline. So we're focusing on... Uh, a special buyers and sellers episode of what are you talking about where we're going to talk about who we think should be traded who should be going all in in the playoff push um what players are likely to be moved so uh i'm just going to start off with uh there i think there are two teams that have a a wealth of players that are going to be available at the trade deadline at least they should and i'm going to start off with uh probably the the one that's going to move the most i think that's the cincinnati reds they're sitting 40 and 47 in the nl central uh that's 15 and a half games back the st louis cardinals the pirates are in strong command of second place this team has just been a little disappointing the last three years they went all in a few years back with their big contracts at joy vado jay bruce brandon phillips uh, and it just hasn't worked out. The Cardinals have maintained dominance of that division. The Pirates have also been really good. So the Reds have Johnny Cueto, who's 29 years old. He's a free agent at the end of this year, finished second in Cy Young voting in 2014. He's had a sub-3 ERA since 2011. I mean, this guy's really good. He has to be the prize of the trade market. I know there's another guy that a lot of teams are going to be looking at, but with Johnny Cueto on an expiring contract, he's the exact type of guy that's going to get moved at the trade deadline. What are your thoughts about him? Oh, I love Johnny Cueto. I think he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. I think he's one of the more underrated pitchers in baseball because playing in Cincinnati, Cincinnati doesn't get a lot of publicity. We can kind of relate to that being from Cleveland. So, yeah, I definitely think he's one of the, the crown jewels of the trade deadline. The only problem is, from a Cincinnati perspective, is that he is a free agent to be. And that means they're probably not going to get a huge haul for him. They're certainly going to get at least one strong prospect, maybe two. But if you're looking at a, a treasure trove of prospects, I wouldn't expect that. Well, but I, yeah. I don't, oh. I don't know about that. I mean, you, you could look at uh, one side that... You're only getting him for a few months, but on the other side, we're going to talk about Cole Hamels in a little bit. He's owed $24 million a year until 2020. Johnny Cueto is available to every team, not just the big spenders. So I, I think you're going to get more than just one prospect for Johnny Cueto, even though it's a rental. No, I, what I'm saying is I don't. I wouldn't expect to, to be more than two prospects, two strong prospects. They may end up trading four prospects or something like that, but I would expect the ladder two to be more projects to be more long shots than pro ready studs i definitely think they're going to get more than one prospect i'm not that's not what i'm saying but i would be surprised if they got more than one i guess superstar prospect a prospect that is viewed by most teams as a sure thing okay yeah uh, that makes sense so but yeah, if we're, if we're going, if we're looking for a buyer for Johnny Cueto, and I agree, I think the Reds are going to sell. You you are hundred percent correct that they have a lot of players that teams will be looking for, and I'm sure we will get to a couple other ones as we progress here. But if you're looking for a, a buyer for Johnny Cueto, I would look at Houston. Now it's maybe odd that they're going after pitching when they have a wealth of young pitchers, but they started great. 
but they're now a half game out of the AL West. Now, this is going into Friday. I did these standings after the All-Star break, so this is not counting any games played over the weekend. That they're three up on the wild card, so they're in control of the first wild card. Or no, excuse me, the second wild card. Minnesota's in the first wild card. They have a wealth of young talent, so they could certainly move some guys to add a, another frontline ace. I certainly think Johnny Cueto is someone who would fit with Houston because Houston has said they would prefer to add a rental because from their perspective, it wouldn't be as expensive as a guy if they'd have control over for a couple more years. So that's an interesting take from the Astros. Usually smaller market teams are hesitant to add a rental. Not that Houston is a small market, but they certainly operate like a small market team. So it kind of surprises me that they are so interested in Johnny Cueto from a Given what they have, pitching-wise, they have a really good rotation. I guess they're just looking to solidify it with one more arm. Yeah, I think uh, everyone, I mean, people expected the Astros to be a lot better this year. I don't think anyone really expected them to be this good, which was commanding the AL West in first place. Um, so I, th- I they should definitely go all in. I'm all about these small market teams with their trove of prospects getting getting good players at the deadline and going all in for one season we've seen how mercurial consistency is in the MLB if you don't have that huge payroll uh the time is now for the Astros even though they probably thought their time was next year the time is now go get Johnny Cueto go get another bat as well they should be all in at the trade deadline I love it and correction I know you did have the Astros ranked pretty highly in our uh preseason prediction so props to you on that yeah, I didn't want to brag too much because if you look at the rest of my American League predictions, they're not panning out too well. But yes, Houston is my one crown jewel in the American League. I did say they would win a wild card, so I'm holding on to that. The other four, we won't talk about too much. But no, I agree. I think Houston should, they can afford to go all in because even if they trade some of their prospects, they've got a ton of young talent on that team. I certainly don't think they're going to go away after this year, even if they trade for Johnny Cueto and he doesn't resign. But since they're in the position they are now, they could definitely win the AL West. Go out and solidify yourself, and Johnny Cueto could certainly help add some depth to that rotation. And yeah, if they added another bat to compensate for the loss of George Springer, who may or may not return later on this year, uh, that that would certainly help them as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's go back looking at the Reds roster here. There's another pitcher, uh, Mike Leak. 27 years old he's also going to be a rental he's a restri- uh, unrestricted free agent in 2016 he's been hovering around 200 innings pitched the last three years so he would be a good uh you know back of the line rotation guy to add for a team that just needs some some pitching depth uh what are your thoughts about him i think he's a buy low option for guys who might not be able to afford the top prizes of cueto samarja or cole hamels and cole hamels is going to be hard to trade for other reasons other than his talent. His contract is an albatross. So whoever trades for him is going to need payroll flexibility. This trade might not happen because these two teams are in the same division, but I certainly think Mike Leake could fit very well on St. Louis. They're the best team in the National League right now. The Pirates are chasing them, though. The Pirates were buried a month ago, and they've closed that gap to two and a half heading out of the All-Star game. Very strong team, a lot of depth, but also a lot of ifs with injuries. 
I say they solidify that pitching and grab a frontline guy like Mike Leak, who wouldn't cost too much because he's also going to be a free agent next year. Or maybe, uh, I know we'll get to these guys in a minute, uh, some lower-end guys like Matt Latos or Dan Heron on the Marlins, guys I've targeted for St. Louis, just to solidify a rotation that's been a little snake bit by injuries. And the only problem with Mike Leak or Johnny Cueto going to the Cardinals is I would see Cincinnati very hesitant trading within the division. Yeah, absolutely. And especially trading to St. Louis. Cincinnati, St. Louis is... I mean, didn't Johnny Cueto like beat up half of the Cardinals a few years ago? I think so. There, there, there was some bad blood between the two of them for when they were both fighting for that division. So I'd have a hard time. Even though Mike Leak makes a lot of sense for St. Louis, I'd have a hard time seeing that deal happen. Yeah, the Cardinals could probably go out and, like you said, there are other buy-low options in, in the rotation market uh, at the trade deadline. All right, let's talk about a couple of the Reds' hitters. Jay Bruce uh, signed a six-year, $51 million deal in 2011. I think they're kind of regretting that. He's getting 12 or 13 a year until 2017. Last year was a really bad year for me at 217 with 18 home runs. This year, he's kind of back to his career averages, a 250 batting average. Already has 13 home runs, 42 RBIs. So that's not a bad year for him. Uh, I, th- I think you, you should definitely need to consider moving him if the offer is right. Oh, certainly. And a couple of teams that need hitting, we already mentioned Houston. Bruce could definitely play a role in Houston with George Springer down for till at least August. So that could work, even though that contract is not very desirable. A team that's desperately in need of a bat is the New York Mets. They're only two games out of the NL East and one game out of the wild card, but their offense is awful. They have great pitching, but they need a bat, any bat, just a big fat bat, and Jay Bruce certainly would be an improvement over what they have. Yeah, definitely. I think that would fit perfectly for the Mets. Uh, the Mets are interesting that they're probably going to be the few one of the few teams that swaps big league talent for more big league talent. You know, usually you see uh, you know the big league talent getting traded for, for for prospects, but the Mets are just kind of lopsided in what they have on their roster that they're gonna uh, you know trade pitching for hitting, and that you don't see that too often. But um, one last guy I, I have Brandon Phillips. He's got $12 million a year until 2018. I think this is a stretch just because Reds fans love him so much. I think it would be hard to sell that to the Reds base to, to gut your team and then and then throw in Brandon Phillips. But he's a second baseman, a valuable commodity. He's in 275 with 33 RBIs right now. His home run numbers are, are definitely down, but he's still... Uh, would be great to shore up your middle infield. I'm not sure if the Reds are considering trading him, though. Yeah, it would surprise me if Joey Votto or Brandon Phillips got moved. Those are kind of cornerstone players in their franchise. I think they're fan favorites, especially Joey Votto. I can't see him getting traded. So that one would surprise me. He certainly would fit, maybe not Houston because they're good at second base, but the Mets certainly Again, they just need any sort of bat. It doesn't matter where he plays. They just need a bat in that lineup who can kind of scare people. So yeah. certainly anytime we're talking about a bat on this podcast, the Mets are probably going to be one of the first first teams we bring up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, before we move teams, do you know who the second highest paid player on the Reds is? 
second highest paid player? I do yeah. not know. It's Homer Bailey. Oh, yeah. I should have guessed that because they gave him a ridiculous contract a couple years ago. Yeah, he signed a six-year, $105 million deal. He's got a career 419 ERA, 7.4 strikeout per nine innings rate. Uh, he's already missing the entire 2015 year. You know, we, we talked about all those big contract guys on the Reds. Uh, obviously, Joey Votto has the huge deal, but Homer Bailey is making the second most on the Reds right now. That's, that's uh, you know, the Reds are a caveat in, in going all in and re-signing your guys, and we're going to go to the next team, which is an even bigger caveat, and compound that with the fact that they should have probably blown up this team two years ago. I'm talking about the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, they're sitting 30 and 62 in the NL East. That is good for the worst record in the MLB by about nine games. This team is not good, uh, and they have huge contracts. Cole Hamels, $24 million a year until 2020. Ryan Howard, $25 million a year until 2018. Jonathan Papelbon's getting paid about $15 million, I think. Chase Utley, $15 million a year. All four of those guys should be considered movable. We'll start with Cole Hamels, who's been... Well, actually, all four of these guys have been rumored as trade bait uh, for the last two years. Cole Hamels, though, is definitely the prize. He's still in his prime, still a good pitcher, but he does have that huge deal. What do you think about him? Who are the buyers for Cole Hamels? Yeah, the buyers for Cole Hamels are very slim it's going to have to be a big market, so you'll look at a team like New York, Boston, maybe the Los Angeles Dodgers, some big market teams that can afford to absorb that huge contract because a team like Houston, a team like you know, even St. Louis, smaller market teams, Washington that already has so much money tied up in pitching, they're not going to trade for this guy. And I think you're going to see the similar problem with the other contracts you mentioned uh, to the other extent that they're not as good as Cole Hamels, too. So it's going to be very tough for the Philadelphia Phillies to move these guys and get a solid return. I think Papelbon could help a lot of teams, but I think a lot of teams are turned off by some of the extracurriculars he brings, uh, sort of the attitude and things like that. I've read some reports that teams just weren't interested in trading for him. Chase Utley and Ryan Howard could certainly help teams in need of a bat like again, the Mets, and they're a big market team that could absorb those contracts. So certainly the Mets could be in play for both of those guys. But I think Cole Hamels is the guy who's probably going to be moved. And if you're looking at a team that can get him, I honestly would say Boston is the best fit because Boston, I think, needs to make a trade, not just for this year. Their pitching is awful. Just awful. There is nobody in that rotation that is a legitimate ace. So if I'm the Red Sox and I have a chance to get Cole Hamels, the Red Sox can stomach that contract through 2020. They may not contend this year, but trading for Cole Hamels would set them up for the next four years with a frontline ace to go with that offense, and then maybe they can make some uh, other moves this offseason to better position themselves for the future. It wouldn't be a win-now move. But I think if Boston has a chance to get Cole Hamels, they should do it. And they're only six and a half games out of the AL East, which isn't a very tough division, and six games out of the wild card. So they certainly could make a run if they address their pitching. Yeah, Boston, Hamels to Boston definitely makes sense. Um, 
I think Boston has some other issues that they need to fix before they go all in on a $24 million a year pitcher. Uh, but look at the top of the division. You got the New York Yankees up top. What's to stop them from from going out and grabbing Cole Hamels? Oh, certainly nothing. They need pitching depth as well. CeCe Sabathia is starting to wear down. And another cautionary tale of signing these guys to these lavish deals. Are they going to go out and get another guy who might wear down in 2018 or 2019? I don't know. But certainly, if you put Hamels next to Tanaka, that's a deadlier combination than what they have right now. So, yeah, the Yankees are on top of the AL East. They have a history for trading guys and making big splashes both in the offseason and at the trade deadline. So I certainly could see them going after Cole Hamels as well. Yeah, definitely. Ryan Howard, though, man, that deal is atrocious. I mean, in 2005, he won the MVP 313 batting average 58 home runs 149 rbis but now 10 years later in 2014 he had 190 strikeouts i mean (laughs) this guy is swinging for the fences at all times he already has 93 strikeouts but he does have 15 home runs i definitely think he could contribute to a playoff team but i think the phillies are gonna have to eat a lot of that cash if they are gonna trade ryan howard the same goes for chase utley he technically is a free agent at the end of this year but he has these options that are triggered when he gets uh they become guaranteed when he gets 500 plate appearances and he is well on his way to do that this year but he's he's hitting 179 um both those guys are really hard to to move to justify getting any kind of return without eating tons of cash to move them well, what you do with Chase Utley is you tell him to take a 30-day vacation so that way he becomes a one-year rental or something like that. <laughs> well, but, for him to hit 179 perfectly healthy, uh, that's almost 100 points below his career batting average or his worst year batting average. Um, I, think he, I think he knows what's at stake to get 500 plate appearances. He probably shouldn't be playing right now. He's probably dealing with something... Uh, He's just I think he's just gunning for five hundred to get to get guaranteed fifteen million dollars next year. Certainly, but it, it'll be interesting to see how they manage him when the rosters expand to forty in September. I could see him getting a lot of days off. Yeah, that could happen and I mean I would be mad. <laughs> I would be really mad if I was fifty players. Well, when you're hitting 170, I mean, you don't deserve to get plate appearances. I'm sorry. I don't have any sympathy for him. If he was hitting 300 and was hitting sit for financial reasons, I'd cry for him because, yeah, it's not right. But if you're hitting 170, you go to the bench. Sorry. Yeah. Well, when you're 30 and 62, uh, you can do whatever you want. Nobody cares. Yeah, that's true. Man, that's an awful record. Hey, another cautionary tale about going all in. The Phillies got their World Series, though, but... They're paying a heavy price for it now. I mean, those 2008, 9, and 10 teams were excellent. But, man, when the bottom falls out, it goes down hard. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we we if Cliff Lee wasn't hurt, we would probably be talking about trading him too. Um, look for Aaron Harang as well. He might be moved. He's, he's a pitcher, a free agent after the end of the year, just to add maybe to your bullpen, really. He's not that good this year. Um, let's keep moving, though. Uh, you know, I guess I'll stop right now. And the theme of my sellers are their National League bottom dwellers. Um, the American League, the worst team is, is the Oakland A's. Technically, they are only nine games out of the wild card in the American League. 
all the teams in the American League, you can make an argument to be buyers at the trade deadline. It's really hard to justify that any of those teams really blowing their teams up. So I'm staying in the National League. What are your thoughts about the parity in the AL? Well, I think we said in our preview podcast that the National League had some clear-cut teams that were going to be dominant. We picked the Dodgers, the Cardinals, the Nationals, and the Pirates. Those were our four consensus picks. And it's coming true. I mean, the, you looked at the National League in the preseason, and you saw four teams that were pretty well-positioned to dominate. And you look over at the American League, you and I struggled to find clear-cut winners for each division. The Angels and the Mariners looked like good picks coming in. The Angels have been good. Mariners not so much in Houston as surprised. It's one of the reasons I picked Houston and Chicago White Sox to get those two wild cards. Now, one of them's working out. The White Sox not so much, but they're still not out of it. I mean, you said the A's are the worst team in the league. They're only nine games out of the wild card. So, yeah, certainly when we looked at the American League, we really struggled to find teams that were clear-cut winners and this certain this doesn't surprise me from that standpoint that that it's so competitive. Yeah, all that makes sense for sure. All right, so number three, I got the Colorado Rockies. They are sitting last place in the NL West, thirty nine and fifty as of today. Uh, we'll start with the the big prize, the big tuna, Troy Tulowitzki, uh, ten years, one hundred fifty seven million dollar deal. Uh, that sounds nice, but he's getting twenty million dollars a year until twenty twenty. Um, he's only appeared in 150 games twice in his career in a season, but currently he's hitting 313. His slugging's a little bit down. He still has 10 home runs. He's still, when he's healthy, one of the best offensive shortstops in the game. Uh, that's a big contract for a guy that has lots of injury issues, but do you think Troy Chulowitzki's finally getting moved this offseason? He's been subject to trade rumors for probably a year and a half now. Yeah, I don't know, to tell you the truth. And it certainly depends on whether or not a big market team is willing to make a move for him. Because, again, that contract is hard for a middle market team to absorb. A team that makes sense is the New York Yankees. Because think about it. You go from the Derek Jeter era to the Troy Tulowitzki era at shortstop. Certainly would help. I don't think the Yankees need as much offensive help as they do pitching. But, again, the Yankees like to make a big splash, and they have a a three-and-a-half game on the AL East. Troy Tulowitzki would certainly make an already potent offense even more dominant. But when you look around the league for a market for that contract, I think he makes sense on Washington, even though that would create kind of an infield logjam. Maybe you move someone over the third base. But I don't think Washington's going to go after a frontline shortstop they don't need offense I think they need bullpen help and maybe a utility guy instead of a big headlining shortstop so I I would be surprised if he got moved just because I think a lot of teams are going to be turned off by his contract yeah it's hard to find find who's at who's who's going to take him other than the Yankees which is who he's been linked to for about a year now it makes sense for me. I mean, the Yankees have nobody at shortstop. They have a gaping hole right there. Make a splash, get a really good bat, and you know, get yourself out of the A Rod Derek Jeter era and and get the Tulowitzki era going. Um, other than that, I mean, maybe the Dodgers will go all in on him. They do have Jimmy Rollins playing a shortstop, but Tulowitzki's clearly a better shortstop than Rollins at this point. Um, other than those two teams, I don't really see a place for him. So 
it's going to be really hard to move him, especially for a guy that has that big a contract left. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting for him, but he certainly, if the offer's right, I could see, I could definitely see him moving. Angels could be a possibility too. He'd be a nice bat to have towards the top of their order. But again, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think Anaheim or the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are looking for a bat at the trade deadline or a, that kind of bat. I think they're looking for a more lower tiered leadoff guy than a guy like Troy Tulowitzki. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, let's talk about his uh, his his teammate Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, he's getting paid seventeen million dollars in twenty sixteen, twenty million dollars in twenty seventeen. So not as big a financial commitment as Tulowitzki. From twenty ten to twenty thirteen, he was a twenty twenty player. He was really good, one of the best outfielders in the game. Since then, uh, he he's been battled some injuries, battled some inconsistencies. He's striking out a ton. Currently sitting at 259 batting average, 13 home runs. The stolen bases aren't really there anymore. Uh, do you see a spot for Carlos Gonzalez? Certainly, because that's a much more manageable contract than guys like Hamels and Tulowitzki or really anyone on Philadelphia. I mean, if you only have to swallow that kind of pill for a couple years, I could see him getting moved to a team like Washington or the Mets. Washington would like to add some offensive depth. Gonzalez would certainly help that. They've been a little snake bit with injuries, especially towards in their outfield. He'd help them nicely. And the Mets, again, the theme of this podcast is the Mets need to trade for a bat. Any bat. If he hits 270, that's an improvement. Doesn't matter. The Mets just need somebody. So he certainly would be a nice fit on the Mets. And being a bigger market, both of those franchises are bigger market teams so they can absorb that contract especially since it's not a long-term um a long-term weight on their franchise yeah i mean it's relatively affordable 20 million dollars is hard to swallow for a guy who's on the decline and will probably be a little bit worse at that point but he's still a good player he still he still can contribute i could definitely see him fitting in in all those teams that you mentioned um those are my only two big pieces that I think the Rockies can move. Uh, did you have anybody else from there that you were looking Not at? Not really. Those those are the two big guys. Yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, two big bats and really the only two big contracts on their on their payroll at this point. So let's keep moving. Uh, let's go to the Milwaukee Brewers in the NL Central. They're thirty nine and fifty two. Uh, they are actually in last place. The Reds are in fourth place as of today. Um, I think Aramis Ramirez is definitely a guy that's going to get moved. He's a free agent at the end of this year. Uh, he's just been a cornerstone at third base for, for the Cubs and now for the Brewers. Definitely a guy that can uh, you know, maybe move to the American League, play some DH, fill in at third base every once in a while, maybe first base as well. He's in 234 with 10 home runs. Not great numbers, but he's one of those guys that uh, you often see get moved at the trade deadline and then contribute uh, late in the year. What are your thoughts about him? Aramis Ramirez has said he is going to retire after this year. I believe it's an 18-year career. So he is, you're right, he has just been a cornerstone at third base. He's had a fantastic career. And I could definitely see him, you know, he might not make a lot of noise about it. Now, I don't know. I don't follow the Milwaukee Beat reporters that closely. But he might not make a lot of noise about it. But I think deep down, he would like to chase a World Series ring and go out on top. So certainly any sort of contender that's looking for a low, you know, just sort of a not an expensive option, a value option to help bolster their depth. Maybe a team like Washington, 
Maybe a team like the Dodgers who don't, if they don't want to take on too much more payroll, or St. Louis, team that always goes for the lower end value options and try to re- rehabilitate them. I think he'd make sense on a lot of contenders who don't want to give up a ton of prospects for some of these big names. Let's just nickname Milwaukee Discount Drug Mart because I think all of their guys <laughs> are sort of guys teams can have with the exception of Carlos Gomez at a cheaper price. I think Kyle Loesch could be a nice middle-of-the-rotation guy. Makes sense on St. Louis because he came from St. Louis, but again, I don't know if the Brewers want to trade in division. Same problem with Aramis Ramirez there, too. I also like Adam Lind as a guy that could help out a contender, add some depth to their offense, and not cost too much. So I think those three guys are sort of on the cheap. But as I mentioned before, I think Carlos Gomez is going to cost a little bit more because he's under team control next year, and uh, he definitely would help in a bigger way. Yeah, I don't don't think Gomez will be on the market. Kyle Loesch... uh was on my list as well. The only problem I see with it is he's got a plus six ERA at the moment. Um, I don't see how he could really contribute a whole lot of meaningful pitching, but you need depth and you need some experience. So you could definitely probably just get him for a player to be named later at this point. Either that, or he could go on a contender and be a long reliever. You saw Zach McAllister for the Indians struggle in his first couple starts. They moved him into long relief and he's been fantastic out of their bullpen. So I certainly could see, a contender get creative with Loesch, maybe like Washington, who is stacked at the starting line and have Loesch help solidify that bullpen. Yeah, definitely. He could be seen serviceable in a, in a lesser role. Uh, Matt Garza is the same way. He's got a plus five ERA. He's getting 12 a year until 2017, but he, he's another guy that probably uh, with a change of scenery, going to a contender with a lesser role, he'll probably do better in those numbers. Um, all right, one last guy I want to talk about with the Brewers, Ryan Braun. Do you think he is on the market? I don't. I think he means too much to that franchise, and I just think that he is going to be in Milwaukee for a long time. I mean, he's under contract until 2021. He's getting right around $20 million a year all the way up until that point. But I, I would consider moving him. He's not I, – I don't know. I mean – does he does he really mean that much post steroid scandal to the Brewers fan base? I mean, there's a, a rocky relationship there. I think there's a rocky relationship between ownership and Braun. I don't think there's a rocky relationship between the fans and Braun. The fans, especially hometown fans, are very forgiving and oftentimes overlook the flaws of their star players. We just saw Pete Rose get a huge ovation in Cincinnati. Pete Rose is probably one of the most hated players outside of Cincinnati for what he did gambling on his own team. But in Cincinnati, they love him. I wouldn't be surprised if Milwaukee fans treat Ryan Braun the same way. In fact, I'm almost positive that they do. So I would be surprised if he got moved. Nothing would shock me, of course. If he got traded, I certainly would understand why. But it, it certainly would surprise me to an extent because I think he is the face of their franchise right now yeah it, it would it would surprise me for sure but i would i would hear offers for him uh you have carlos gomez who's playing beside him in the outfield who looks like a star uh certainly has all the tools to be a star why not if you get a big return for braun you could usher in a new era that is actually a contender yeah maybe i mean i, I certainly would solicitate offers for anyone on the team 
if I'm that bad. If I'm Milwaukee <laughs> and I'm in the dumpster, no one's safe. And so certainly Ryan Braun, I'm sure, has been inquired about, and I'm almost positive that there have been at least feelers out there for him. Whether or not those trade talks have progressed to anything substantial, I have no clue. I haven't read anything about it, so I'm inclined to say that Braun probably won't be moved at the deadline. But again, this is the business world of sports. Nothing is shocking, man. Certainly, certainly so. All right, I got one more seller for you. We've alluded to them a little bit. The Miami Marlins, they're 38-52 and in the NL East. That's good for fourth place. Um this isn't exactly like a fire sale build, blowing up the entire team. Obviously, John Carlos Stanton's not getting sold. Neither is Christian Yelch. They have a good young core, but they have some auxiliary pieces that they probably added this year expecting to contend. Obviously, we saw them fire their manager already. That didn't do anything. Uh, the first guy we already talked about, Matt Latos, he's a free agent at the end of the year. His ERA is a little high, but he has that high strikeout rate. I think it changes scenery, some playoff contention that he's definitely a good buy low option that we already talked about. Um, two other veteran bets, Martin Prado, he's getting about $10 million a year for the next two years in the outfield. He could be a good vet to add, probably buy low. And then Mike Morse, he's got that World Series experience with the Giants. Uh, $9 million a year until 2017. He could definitely fill in at DH and first base for a team looking to add some hitting depth. Certainly. I, I think all those guys are sort of on the second tier of if you can't get a guy like Cole Hamels or Johnny Cueto or Carlos Gomez or any of the big guns out there, then these are guys that teams will be happy with. I think Dan Heron's another guy on the Marlins that could help a team definitely. And I certainly want to Dan Heron wants to go back to LA. So I think they're going to do what they can to, to send him back to the California. Right. And the Dodgers uh, certainly are trying to add a third starter into that rotation. So Heron could help them angels. He could help the angels too. So it wouldn't surprise me if he got moved Matt Latos too. I wouldn't be surprised if St. Louis is uh, sniffing around this team because a, they're not in their division. Finally, a team that has some low second-tier options that aren't in the Cardinals' division. And B, these are the kind of guys St. Louis likes, the guys that are undervalued, that don't cost too much, and they can bring in and maybe rehabilitate and get a couple months out of them for a World Series run. So it wouldn't surprise me if St. Louis is kicking the tires with Miami. And yeah, I think all these guys that you mentioned could, again, they're not going to move the needle, but they will add depth to a contending team. Yeah, definitely. I don't. I don't think they're they're flashy picks, but I think I think uh, I think you'll see the Marlins dealing. I, I'm I'm more positive that the Marlins will be dealing these guys than really any other team, just because they're such good buy low options. Hey Bob, can you believe that we made a huge omission when we talked about Cincinnati? What's that? Aronis Chapman, man. We didn't bring him up. Yeah, I, 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 I. Admittedly, I completely forgot to consider him as a, as a trade piece, but I guess you have to. Well, I'd, I'm sorry, I don't even know what his contract is at this point. He's, he's a free agent in 2017, probably the best reliever on the market if Cincinnati's selling, and certainly could help teams that need relief pitching depth 
like Washington. They're the team that I think needs to make a move for a reliever. And if you bring Chapman in and move Storm back to his eighth inning role, that would solidify their bullpen with another major closer. I think that's one of their bigger weaknesses is the bullpen. So I wouldn't be surprised if Washington either trades for Chapman or adds another sort of low-value bullpen guy. I know we talked about the American League being very competitive, but I think Baltimore, Chicago White Sox, and Oakland have some guys who aren't necessarily closers but could help middle relief depth, and they have enough of it that maybe they could trade one of them off, get a prospect or two, and still make a push in the American League, sort of a minor move, sort of a kind of selling but still contending. And so I I certainly think that Washington is going to be kicking the tires on some relievers in in this trade deadline period. Yeah, good catch. Twitter, please don't eviscerate me for for leaving out Aroldis Chapman. I I told you to be brutal, but but please, please be nice to me on that one. Hey, we (laughs) we caught it in time before the podcast ended, so that's why I got your back here, Bob. Don't worry. Thanks, man. I have to... I don't. I feel bad for saying this uh, as we're recording, but I like that Cincinnati is selling and that they're not doing well. I see. I don't have as much of a problem with them as you do, but I can understand. You were down in that south southwest Ohio area for a while, and I'm sure you had to put up with some obnoxious Reds fans. So I can understand why you kind of have a little bit of resentment for them, but I don't have as big of a problem with them. I actually was just at Great American Ballpark a couple weeks ago. It's a nice nice place, and they did a fine job hosting the All-Star game, too. Oh, the ballpark's awesome. Um, That's all I'll say. The ballpark's awesome. All right, so I I do have a couple fringe sellers, guys that might make some moves. They probably have some decision-making to do. Uh, Oakland A's, they are... They have the worst record in the American League at 41 and 51, uh, nine and a half games out of first place. Uh, only, and that is also how far out they are of the wild card, too. Um, I, they should be sellers, I think, but try. I don't know what Billy Bean wants to do. I don't know why he blew up the team to begin with. Maybe he's going to finish the job now, or maybe he thinks that they're contenders or something. But Ben Zerbris is on the team, a utility guy that can play middle infield and outfield. That's the perfect trade deadline piece to add. I think he's going to get a lot of calls for Zobrist. He's a, a free agent at the end of the year, so definitely look for him to move. Scott Kazmir is a veteran uh, free agent uh, at the end of the year. Look for him to possibly get some calls about. And then there's this guy, Stephen Vogt, who is 30 years old, but he still they have him under control for three years through arbitration. He's having a career year, though. He's He was an all-star. He's in 287, 14 home runs, 56 RBIs as a catcher. Um, I really think that he is just having an amazing year that will never have that again. Uh I would I would sell high on him if I'm Billy Bean. I don't. You, you could sell him with tons of control. He's a catcher. I I don't know. I I I would not invest in him at this point. Oh, if votes on the market. He's by far the best catcher on the market. Also, another guy to watch is Josh Reddick. Could be a sneaky source of power. Arbitration three eligible. He'd be a free agent in 2017. But to talk about Ben Zobris, I think he's the perfect guy for the Washington Nationals. 
they, again, have been snake bit by injuries. And in the National League, you need a guy like him who can play a lot of different positions. He gives you a lot of flexibility. I think he'd be the perfect fit in Washington. He'd give them the depth they need, and he can play, again, everywhere. So I think a a team like Washington or a team in the National League will be extra interested in a guy like Ben Zobris. And Oakland's bullpen is really strong, too. We mentioned it, that they have a solid closer in Tyler Clippard. Billy Bean generally likes to trade relief pitching for future prospects. So, yeah, Oakland has a lot of options that they could explore if they wanted to sell at the trade deadline. Um, do you got? Do you have any other teams that might be should be considering themselves sellers? Well, the San Diego Padres have to have a long talk with each other and figure out what they want to do because Justin Upton, he's a free agent. Uh, come this off season, they just built this team. They went all in to build this team. I don't think it's worked out as well as they thought it would um the offense or we thought it would we both picked them to make the playoffs <laughs> yeah yeah i i mean i that's why i'm hesitant well and and they have to be hesitant as well i mean they only have half a season to go on to make this decision but they do have some decisions to make with justin upton if he's on the market he's probably the best right-handed power bat on the market they could get a good return for him if not, they need to start lo- worrying about locking him up. Um, certainly, the Padres, they're only five and a half games out of that last wild card spot. So they're not, the season isn't lost, but they need to do, make some, make some decisions. And I think, um, I think one indicator would be if the GM gets fired, then they're going to blow up the team. But uh, if they're committing to that GM, I think he's going to, you know, stick to his guns. He made all those moves in such a quick time. I really don't see them selling, but they they should think about it, at least consider it. Yeah, it's hard to see them selling, but if they do sell, Craig Kimbrell could be a very prized closer on the market. They have a lot of guys who people would like. Upton, certainly, even though he'd be a rental, would be, would be able to help a contender with his bat. I don't think they're going to blow things up because I think that they might say, hey, we still got another half. We're not that far out of it, and we're going to try to continue to make a run. So they're, they're kind of a team that's right on the edge, but you're right. They do have to have some long conversations in these next couple of days and really get together a clear plan whether or not they want to continue to go this route or take a step back and look at the long-term picture. Yeah. All right, and – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about one other team just really quickly. You mentioned Boston as a buyer, and I certainly think they can be a buyer. They're only seven and a half games out from first place in the AL East. I really just think that they're a little dysfunctional. With Hanley Ramirez in left field, you have guys like Shane Victorino and Alejandro Deaza clogging up your outfield when you have young guys in Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Rusty Castillo waiting to play. Mookie Betts obviously is playing, but the other two guys are... are not playing because of these vets um Hanley Ramirez man I you just that was a terrible deal I I just think they need some readjusting they need to move some of these pieces for pitching and you know sell on this year get some get some pitching depth for next year and then and then go for it you can sign a bat this offseason and and go for it in 2016 I just I don't think this team is functional right now even if they do add Cole Hamels, that's gonna be that's gonna gut their 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 prospects. I don't think that this is a good enough team with Cole Hamels to really make a lot of noise either. 
Yeah, no, I certainly think the Red Sox will be active on this trade deadline, even if it isn't a win-now move. I think that they're going to try to either adjust some things or maybe go after a guy that they can view as as a cornerstone pitcher. But I would be surprised if the Red Sox don't at least make a move for an arm by the end of July because their pitching is just atrocious. There's no one in that rotation that's a legitimate ace, and they need to find one either at the trade deadline or this offseason. I certainly think they're going to be very active in the pitching market over the next couple months if they don't get a deal done by the end of July. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, let me. I, I got one more question. Do you think the Twins should be buyers? Yeah, I was going to actually uh, just go over a couple teams here real quick. Uh, I think Baltimore and the Chicago White Sox both should consider selling. Baltimore has Chris Davis and Steve Pierce as free agents to be. Baltimore's kind of nearing the end of this window, so maybe they take an eye to the future and try to see what they can get for them. Their bullpen's really good, too. Zach Britton, Tommy Hunter, Brian Mattis, Darren O'Day. A lot of guys who would be able to provide middle relief help. Britton as a closer as well. Chicago White Sox, Melky Cabrera, not having a very good season, but could be one of those depth guys to help a contender. They have David Robinson, Zach Duke, and Daniel Webb, all guys who could help a team looking for lower cost bullpen help and then yes i think the minnesota twins should be buyers not huge buyers but i think the twins could definitely use some bullpen depth i don't think they're a team that's going to make a huge splash for a guy like chapman or kimbrell but i i certainly think that the twins are going to be looking around for a guy to help them in the middle of that bullpen they already have a pretty solid closer as well Teams I don't think should be buyers. I don't think the Chicago Cubs should be buyers because I think they just need to stay the course. They got a lot of prospects bubbling up. I called out Theo Epstein before the year began, and he responded by calling up all these prospects that I was kind of mocking and showed that he really did know what he was doing. So props to him. We were I was a little low on the Cubs, but they have definitely surprised. I think they just need to stay the course, maybe not play for this year, but I think next year their future is very bright. And another team we didn't talk about is Detroit. That's another kind of question mark team, but based on their actions, they are an all-in type team. It wouldn't be surprised if they made a move to try to capitalize on this window. But they also have David Price, a free agent to be. So if they are a seller, they could put the best rental arm on the market and probably get a solid return for him. So there's just kind of a one-over of some of the teams that we didn't get to. Yeah, definitely. Um, it'll be interesting just with the parity in the AL. A lot of teams have to to make decisions because if they enter the market as sellers, uh, they could offer some really interesting pieces. But if they go in as buyers, uh, the market's going to be really dry. So it'll be it'll be an interesting trade deadline. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, if if all these American League teams think they're going to contend, that the market's going to be super dry because it's just limited to those National League teams you had focused on. And one other thing about the Cubs, they do have extreme prospect depth. So if they wanted to make a move, they certainly could make a move or two and not hurt their long-term future. So Cubs might be a light buyer, but I don't think that they should make a big splash. I think they got a nice core. Just keep going. And again, Theo Epstein proved me wrong. I called them out a little bit on our preview show, and the Cubs are looking good. So hats off to Chicago. I will uh, freely admit when I get one wrong. So it's all good. Yeah, they did surprise me, or they are surprising me. Um, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. 
hey, either way, you got to say that it's been a successful season for Chicago. They, they, their prospects have shown that there's a lot to be excited about. Even if they don't, even if they kind of flatline in the second half, they've shown that there's a lot to be excited about for the future. So they've had, that, a, that, I think true. they've had a success. Yeah, that's very true. But all righty, man, we're gonna switch gears for the last couple minutes here. Do a couple quick ones. Gold Cup. We talked about it last week. Not going to get a huge amount on it this week. We'll focus more on the final next week. But the knockout round is set. Bob, who do you think is going to throw down for the final in Philadelphia? And who do you think is going to come away with the Gold Cup? I think it's it's uh, the matchup that we usually are, are accustomed to seeing. It's going to be U.S. versus Mexico. I don't, I don't really see any other... Actually... Mexico versus Costa Rica will be a very interesting match because Costa Rica did really well in the World Cup. So whoever wins that is going to play the U.S. But the U.S., uh, they're going to handle their half of the tournament real easily. Uh, I'm still picking Mexico. I think that they are on the rebound. It's going to be U.S. versus Mexico. I really, I think it's going to be a disappointment if the, if the U.S. team does not win this Gold Cup. I agree with you there. I think the U.S. should be the favorite, and I think the U.S. should win the Gold Cup. And I think the U.S. half of the draft is a lot easier than the bottom. You you had talked to me off the air about Panama. The winner of Mexico-Costa Rica is probably going to play Panama in the semifinals. That's the more interesting half of the bracket to me. But I agree with you. I think it will be the U.S. and Mexico. I do think that that Mexico-Costa Rica match will be great because, as you said, Costa Rica had a fantastic run in the World Cup. But I think it'll be U.S.-Mexico, big rivalry, and the U.S. will come out on top and secure their spot in the Confederations Cup. Yeah, I, I, I look forward to it. I look forward to seeing the post-Josie Altador attack, uh, with how they're going to do without him. It'll be interesting. Certainly. And in case you missed it, there is some kind of craziness in the NFL Des Bryant and Demarius Thomas both signed big deals locked up with Denver and Dallas. But did you hear that the NFLPA was going to file for a grievance accusing the teams of colluding and they were going to ask for three times the value of the highest paid wide receiver, which was Calvin Johnson at $16 million per year. So that would entitle, if they were successful, Des and Demarius to about $48 million. Yeah, that's insane uh, i think it's just posturing to be honest uh to to make headlines and then also if it actually went to uh, a grievance uh so that they would split the difference and, and meet somewhere halfway but that's a, ri- a ridiculous number it, it was an interesting standoff uh the franchise tag came into play i think it's definitely hurting these star players making the mo- their the most amount of money they could um, and then it's it's very curious that uh, they signed the exact same deal on the on the exact same day. I think you definitely have to consider that there it was at least some kind of collusion, at least uh, a standoff between the two teams to see what deals they were going to make with their star player. Oh, certainly. And I don't think the union is going to complain as much now that their guys got paid. And I agree with you. It was all posturing. They did the. They announced it about 24 hours before the deals got done. So it was just a case of the union standing up for their players. But when I read that, I'm like, man, these guys are actually going to try to get them $48 million in 
collusion damages. It's a little crazy, but I don't think that would have been very successful. But it's good to see that the deals got done without any trouble or things like that. All right, yeah, we have covered a ton of ground in this podcast. Getting back to baseball, I think we're going to be staying on baseball for a little longer now, now that some of these other sports have died down. But next week, Jordan Spieth, hopefully we're talking about a three-time Grand Slam winner because I'm pulling for the American to pull it out over the pond in the open. Been delayed a little bit by weather over there, so we'll see if that gets finished on time. Of course, the Gold Cup finalizes next week, and I'm sure we'll have some baseball moves to talk about in the coming weeks here with the trade deadline fastly approaching. So, again, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for your support. Take Bob's advice. Call us out if you think that we've made a mistake. We'll look into it and certainly correct ourselves in future podcasts. Uh, We try to be perfect, but hey, we're human. We make mistakes. Follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports. And follow us on Instagram, FenleyROADSports. Come back to FenleyRoadSports.com for more blogs and other content. And continue to listen to our podcast, What Are You Talking About? You may have noticed we didn't talk too much about the Cleveland Indians. That's because we've got something special planned for them next week. But you'll have to come back to find out, see what it is. If you're a listener, you know that we have some an affinity for our Cleveland team. So we will certainly focus on them in the future here, too. But until then... Take it easy, and thank you for listening. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take care, Bob.